Let's open our Bibles again together this morning. This time to the book of Romans, chapter 15. Romans, chapter 15. And I'm going to read and preach verses 14 through 16. Romans 15, 14 through 16, where the Apostle Paul talks about the point of his apostleship. What is the point? What is the purpose of him being an apostle? He talks about the grace given him by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles so that he can present the Gentiles as an offering, as it were, to God offering acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So the point of his apostleship is to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles so that he can present the Gentiles as an offering to God. And what he's doing in these verses is he's explaining this to the Christians in Rome he's writing to so they can understand more of why he's writing to them. Why has he written this letter to them? He's written it because God has given him this mission. God has given him this commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles and that is in fulfillment of God's promise and of course for God's glory. And there are lots of things we can learn from these verses as believers today and we'll see what those are as we go through them as we consider together the point of Paul's apostleship. Let me pray for us and then we'll begin. Our God, we pray as the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119 that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law and we pray that in Jesus name amen Romans 15 reading verses 14 through 16 these are God's words given to us through the apostle Paul I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You can see there in your sermon notes, we'll note first Paul's encouragement of the Christians in Rome in verse 14, then what he says about writing to them by way of reminder in verse 15, and finally what he says about his apostleship in verse 16 and the point of his apostleship. So first, let's take a closer look at the encouragement that he gives to them there in verse 14. And here we'll note two things. Number one, Paul's satisfaction, and then number two, the Romans' spiritual maturity. Regarding Paul's satisfaction, he says there at the beginning of the verse, verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, and so on. I'm satisfied about you that you're full of goodness, he says. I'm convinced, I'm confident that you are full of goodness, he tells them. And why does he feel the need to tell them this at this point? Well, perhaps it's because he just told them in the previous verse 
that he asks God to fill them with certain things, certain spiritual graces. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. But he doesn't want to give them the impression that he asks God to fill them because he thinks that they are empty or entirely empty. No, he tells them he's satisfied about them, that they are full of goodness and of knowledge. May God fill you, but don't get me wrong, I'm satisfied that you are full, which may sound a bit confusing, but it can remind us that when God fills us, we're not like a shoebox that just can't fit anything else in it. We're more like a water balloon that can expand and fit even more. So we can be full of spiritual graces by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, but we still need God to fill us even more, to expand us and continue to fill us. I think that's the idea here. Plus, we also leak, don't we? Therefore, we need to continually be filled, which God is gracious to do when we ask him. But Paul's encouraging these believers by telling them that he's satisfied about them, that they are full of goodness and knowledge. And if you think of yourself as being one of the recipients, the original recipients of this letter, that would be very encouraging to hear, wouldn't it? From the Apostle Paul. Paul is satisfied about them. Paul's not like an impossible to please parent or coach or boss. No, he is easily pleased. He's easily encouraged and satisfied by the work of God in the lives of believers, of these believers in particular. And I think his example can be an occasion for us to examine ourselves, for us to ask ourselves, am I easy to please or hard to please as a parent, as an elder or a deacon or an older sibling perhaps or as a roommate or a supervisor in my workplace or as a spouse As a friend, am I easy to please or hard to please? Am I easily encouraged by the work of God in the lives of others? Or does it take quite a lot for me to be encouraged? Like one of those strongman games at a carnival where you have to hit the lever really hard with the big hammer in order to get the thing to go all the way to the top and ring the bell. Does it take a lot for you to be encouraged by the work of God in the lives of others? Or just a little, just a little bit? I hope it's just a little, but each of us should think about this question. C.J. Mahaney, in his excellent little book, Humility, True Greatness, encourages us to look for what he calls evidences of grace in the lives of others and to be encouraged by those evidences of grace in their lives and actually to point out those evidences of grace in their lives for their encouragement. He says that, quote, when you become familiar with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and those are two examples of the Spirit's work in people's lives, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and you learn to recognize their manifestation, suddenly you will be aware that God is at work everywhere. Look anywhere and you'll see evidences of God's activity, evidences of grace. And then he says this, what a joy and privilege it is to discern this activity in the lives of those we love and care for and to draw their attention to how God is at work in their lives. 
Isn't that great? I, I think that's good for us to focus on, to, to look for evidences of grace in each other's lives and to be easily encouraged by them. And of course, let's encourage each other when we see God at work in each other's lives. So that's Paul's satisfaction. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. Let's note secondly here in verse 14, the Romans' spiritual maturity. The Romans' spiritual maturity. Paul uses three phrases in the second half of verse 14 to describe their spiritual maturity. You can see them there. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Now he's using a bit of hyperbole here in the first two phrases where he says they're full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. When he says that they are full of goodness, of course he doesn't mean that they are sinless. Otherwise he wouldn't have had to write Romans chapter six or Romans chapter seven. And when he says that they are filled with all knowledge, he doesn't mean that they are omniscient, that they are all-knowing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written about the weak in faith. In fact, he wouldn't have had to write this whole letter. No, he's using hyperbole, which I think they would have easily understood, and he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them that the, the whole church is full of goodness. It's full of the fruit of the Spirit. God is bearing fruit in and through the lives of these believers The members of the church are filled with all knowledge, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of the implications of the gospel for their daily lives. Certainly there would have been room to grow in these areas as there is in every church, but the point is that they are growing in these areas and in fact they are spiritually mature in these areas. And Paul encourages them in light of the work of God in them and among them. And I think as we examine this, As we think about this, we can see that this is a testimony to the truth of Romans 1.16 that I mentioned earlier, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is proof of the truth that the gospel transforms lives. It can take sinners like you and me and change us and transform us from being full of sin to being full of goodness in the sense Paul describes here. From being filled with ignorance and error to being filled with all knowledge. It can take us from Romans three, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. The gospel can take us from Romans three and transform us into Romans 15 full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. The gospel can change anybody. Anyone who repents of their sin and puts their trust in Jesus Christ, Christ comes into the heart and makes it his home. He transforms the home of our heart. He removes the junk and remediates the mold He demolishes certain things and builds up new things in their place. He clears out all the clutter. He remodels. He renovates and renews and restores. And though there's sin that remains in us all our lives, sadly, because of the work of Christ, we are fundamentally different now. 
We're different people. Though there's still a lot of work to be done in us, the work that's already been done in us is far greater. And we can say with John Newton, I am not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon I shall put off mortality and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet, though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, we are what we are, who we are as believers. Insofar as we are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, it is only by the grace of God at work in us. It's not because we're better than others. All the credit goes to God. All the glory goes to God. Paul also encourages these believers by saying that they are able to instruct one another. Really, that's true of all Christians. It's not just the elders of a church who are called to instruct others. The elders do have a special responsibility to do that in the public ministry of the word especially. We've been thinking about that in the Sunday school class. But all believers are called to teach and admonish one another in various ways. By the humble example of our lives, we instruct each other, don't we? In purposeful conversation, we can instruct each other. In personal discipleship, in counseling situations, or when we seek advice from each other, we can instruct one another by the grace of God. and By his grace, we are able to do so. Kids, you can do this too. You're able to do this too. Children, you're able to instruct others and point others to Jesus by the things that you do, by the way that you live, by singing heartily in corporate worship, by talking to adults after the service, by sharing prayer requests and praying at prayer meeting or in family worship, by cheerfully obeying your parents with God's help, you too are able to instruct others and point others to Jesus. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This is Paul's encouragement to these believers. He is satisfied by their spiritual maturity. But even though he's satisfied by their spiritual maturity, that doesn't mean they don't need to be reminded of the truth. That's where he goes next. Let's look at that now under our second main point. Reminder, more briefly. Look at verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. Here Paul mentions two reasons he wrote this letter to them and the first is to remind them of the truth. To remind them of the truth. He says, but on some points, so not all points of doctrine and practice, but on some points, on the points on which they most needed to be addressed, 
but on some points I've written to you very boldly. So in different parts of the letter, he's had to be very direct. He's had to be rather frank with them. He's had to say some hard things to them, to challenge them on some things. But he has done so by way of reminder. By way of reminder. So it wasn't because their bucket was empty and needed to be filled. It was because it needed to be stirred. Like a cup of hot chocolate that's been sitting for a little while. It needs to be stirred up. They were full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another, but they still needed to be reminded of the truth. They still needed to be stirred up by way of reminder. A couple of cross-references about this. The Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, listen. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He says later in chapter three, verses one and two, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. We need reminders in the Christian life, don't we? We need to be reminded of one truth at one time and another truth at another time, in one circumstance of life and then in another circumstance of life, at one stage and then at another stage. Hopefully we have many truths of scripture in our mind but they're not all on the front of our mind at any given time. They can't all be on the front of our mind at the same time. We need to be reminded of certain truths at certain times. We need to have particular truths brought to the front of our minds at particular times and in particular situations. God is gracious to give us those timely reminders, isn't he? Through our daily Bible reading, perhaps, or through memorizing and meditating on certain passages of Scripture, through a line from a psalm or a hymn we've sung coming to mind in a time of need, through the encouraging words of a friend, through corporate worship, through reading a good book, through seeing God's beauty and majesty in creation. We forget what's true and need to be reminded of what's true. And God is gracious to give us timely reminders, to stir us up by way of reminder. So the first reason Paul wrote this letter to them, again, is to remind them of the truth. The second reason is because of the grace given him by God, because of the grace given him by God. And the grace he's referring to at the end of the verse there is the grace of apostleship of him being an apostle, particularly to the Gentiles. Like he said back in chapter one, verse five, through Christ we have also received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Or more recently in chapter 12, verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. By the grace given to me, I I say to everyone among you. 
or one more, he says in Ephesians chapter three, verses seven and eight, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's ministry, Paul's apostleship was a grace given to him by God. It was undeserved. It was unmerited. It was full of mercy. And the fact that it was a grace, a gracious gift, seasoned Paul's ministry to others. He doesn't say, I have written to you very boldly because that's just who I am. I call it like I see it. I'm a truth teller. He doesn't say, I have written to you very boldly because I'm a very important person who is much superior to you in every way. No, he says, I've written to you very boldly because of the grace given me by God. Paul was a recipient of God's grace and then a dispenser of that same grace. think for us, even though we're not apostles, the positions of leadership and influence we are in are given to us by God, by grace, aren't they? Whether we're an elder or a deacon or a father or a mother or an older sibling or a supervisor, the positions of leadership and influence we are in are given to us by God, by grace. We don't deserve them. We haven't earned them. We haven't merited them, ultimately. They are a grace given to us by God. We should exercise leadership and influence with that in mind, with that reality flavoring and seasoning our ministry to those around us. So Paul writes to them to remind them of the truth and because of the grace given him by God. And then in verse 16, he expands on what he means by the grace given him by God. Let's look at that under our third main point now, apostleship. Look at verse 16. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's notice first how Paul describes his apostleship and then we'll note the goal of his apostleship. In addition to describing it as a grace given him by God, he describes it as being a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. A minister, a servant not of himself, but of Christ. To the Gentiles, to those who are not ethnic Jews, to the nations, to all peoples. Like he said in Galatians chapter two, verses seven through nine, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. 
And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So Paul was instrumental in God's plan to fulfill the promises he made to Abraham. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul's apostleship was the fulfillment of those promises. It was to be a minister of Christ Jesus to all the families of the earth, to all the Gentiles. But he says something a little strange to our ears. He says, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, I thought about entitling this sermon the priesthood of Paul or something like that, but I think, thought that would be a little bit too confusing. He's not saying he's literally a priest. The priests were part of the old covenant and the priesthood is no longer needed now that the great high priest has already come and performed his once for all priestly sacrifice. So he's not saying he's literally a priest. He's saying he's, he's metaphorically a priest. Just like he's not saying in the next clause that the Gentiles are a literal offering, but a metaphorical one. In the metaphor, Paul's the priest and the Gentiles are the offering that he's offering to God. Like the priests served in the tabernacle and the temple presenting offerings to God, Paul is serving in the ministry of the gospel presenting the offering of the Gentiles to God. And the priestly service is the priestly service of the gospel, the priestly service of gospel proclamation, the priestly work of proclaiming the message of the gospel. Paul is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in that priestly service of the gospel of God. So that's how he describes his apostleship. Let's note finally the goal of his apostleship. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Again, the point of Paul's apostleship was to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ so that they would be an offering to God, an acceptable and sanctified offering, not an unacceptable and unsanctified, unholy offering to God. No sinner is acceptable to God or sanctified, holy All sinners are unacceptable and unholy in God's sight because of their sin. That is why Jesus came to live a perfectly acceptable life of holiness, a perfect life of holiness, and to atone for sins on the cross so that all who turn from their sin and trust in him could be saved eternally. Through Christ, through Christ alone, we are acceptable to God and we are sanctified by the Spirit of God. And now, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We were unacceptable in our sin, but now we are accepted in our Savior. We were unholy and defiled, but now we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So that's the point of Paul's apostleship, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Three more thoughts briefly as we draw to a close this morning. Three things. First, all this was God's plan from the beginning. All this was God's plan from the beginning. There's a great passage in the book of Isaiah chapter 66. You may want to turn there in your Bible for just a minute. Isaiah chapter 66. This may have been in Paul's mind as he wrote verse 16. Isaiah 66 verses 18 through 20. Listen to these words from Isaiah 66 starting in verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pole, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. They shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. The Gentiles were not plan B after the plan A of the Israelites failed. No, both Israel and the Gentiles were God's plan A from the beginning as we see in passages like Isaiah 66. Second thought as we close. All this reminds us that the message of the gospel is for all people. The message of the gospel is for all people. The point of Paul's apostleship was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to all nations, not just the nation of Israel. That was his commission. And our commission, the great commission, is much the same in many ways. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and arguably the best part. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel is for all people. 
It's not just for people like you, it's for people unlike you. It's not just for men, it's for women, not just for adults, for children. It's not just for one ethnicity, it's for all ethnicities. Not just for Westerners, it's for Easterners. Not just the rich, also the poor. It's for all people. Revelation 5 verse 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. All people need salvation and the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So all people need the gospel. The gospel is for all people. As I once heard it put, you will never meet a person who doesn't need to hear the gospel. The gospel is for all people. Third, and finally, in light of all this, we should spread the seed of the gospel far and wide. We should spread the seed of the gospel far and wide. As we say in our mission statement, we should reflect and proclaim Christ in our community and around the world. I was just reading recently, Disciplines of a Godly Man, a good book by Kent Hughes, and he gave the following advice I thought was very helpful regarding evangelism, regarding the in our community part of our mission statement. He said this, all of us have a complex network of relationships built around four natural contact points. Biological relatives and family members, and by extension, our church family. Geographical people who live where we live, vocational, people who work where we work, and recreational, people who play where we play. He says, we need to discover our networks, make a list of likely contacts, and begin to pray for them. And he recommends, pray for them daily for the next month, and be alert for opportunities to share Christ with them. I think that's really good practical advice. Discover our networks, so biological, geographical, vocational, relational, or rather recreational. Make a list of likely contacts within those networks. Pray for them daily and look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. We should spread the seed of the gospel far and wide like a sower or like one of those fertilizer spreaders scattering the seed of the gospel all around us wherever we go. Drawing the needed courage from the Lord because we need courage. Drawing the needed wisdom and motivation to do so from Christ and trusting God to water the seeds and give the growth according to his sovereign will. This was Paul's mission and it is ours today. It's our commission from Christ. And as we seek to fulfill it, we have, again, his promise, I think the best part. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promise. 
and for the commission you've given us. Thank you for the commission you gave to the Apostle Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So many of us are beneficiaries of that commission that he and so many others have fulfilled. Help us to fulfill it as well. We pray that you'd work these truths down into our hearts and out into our lives about encouraging each other and being stirred up by way of reminder and especially about this commission that you gave to Paul and the commission you've given to us. Give us the grace we need to fulfill that commission each day and thank you that you are with us always. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.